Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, and then chapter 6, verses 7 to 9. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will, we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. This is the word of the Lord. So we are about to embark on a new series talking through the fruit of the Spirit, which is great. Uh, the kids are also going through the, the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe we might be able to get them to come in one service and do the song. Does anyone want to learn the fruit of the Spirit song? <laughs> Connor has been teaching them. Addie is saying, no, she does not want to learn it. Come on. <laughs> no, you want to learn it. Um, uh, Connor's been teaching them the song, so maybe we can get them in one, one Sunday. Uh, that, yeah, that'd be fun. I'm sure Connor would love that, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're going to be uh, going through the fruit of the Spirit, and the, the, the title of the series is Sowing to the Spirit uh, and Cultivating the Spirit's Gifts. Uh, and so we're looking at what this really means, what the fruit of the Spirit is about and how it actually invigorates and brings life and uh, you know, how that's all, all caused in our life. Um, yeah, so if we kind of look at the, this to begin with, look at the, the, this scripture in Galatians, we see here Paul is, is speaking to this, these churches in the uh, Galatia area uh, and he's contrasting here, deliberately contrasting, contrasting, showing the, the singular fruit, that we have the fruit. There's one singular. It's not fruits. It's a singular fruit. It's like a cluster of fruit. Uh, singular fruit of the Spirit uh, contrasted with the works, the plural works of the flesh. And those works of the flesh uh, are about this, this uh, sinful nature that is inside of us, this, that is at work within us. Uh, that is kind of eating away at us. And when the works of the flesh are, are, are at, you know, it heightened in our lives, we, we see the list of what, what happens. And we're going to go through sorcery tonight. No, not really, but let's... Uh, we see the different lists of things that happen from the works of the flesh. 
uh, but the the work of uh, the the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit invigorates life in us, what comes and bears in our lives are such beautiful things of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, and so on. The beautiful fruit of the Spirit that brings life to who we are and transforms how we act and live towards others. A great picture um, that I read this week, kind of looking into it, there's a 16th century um, theologian called William Perkins, and he uh, highlighted this, the allegory of what's going on. He, he said that the kingdom is, is like a, the garden of God, and that believers are like trees of righteousness in this beautiful garden in the kingdom of God. And the spirit, the spirit of God is like the sap that works its way into the trees and actually brings life to a tree. A tree is, only has its energy and, and sustenance through the sap and the energy and the life within. And then from, from the, the beautiful work of the Spirit that invigorates that life in the tree, fruit is able to grow. And we're able to bear fruit not because of how amazing we are of a tree, but because of the life of the Spirit that is within us, that we bear the fruit now, the fruit of the Spirit is not, not a list of these virtues that we just have to aspire to and when we have to put a list up and just try and check off in our days that I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'm achieving and I'm performing the right way to be a great Christian. I'm doing all these things. It's not a list of uh, our performance, but rather it's a, a gift that the Spirit gives us. The fruit is a gift John Stott, a theologian, he, he describes it as a cluster of, of nine Christian graces. Grace is that, that word for gift that portray the believer's attitude to God and to other people and to himself. It's a cluster of the gifts that we get as Christians that as we soak into who Christ is, as we soak into the Spirit, what bears within is this beautiful gift the gift of love and joy, peace, these beautiful things that come from who we are. And so as we look and explore these attributes over the the coming months, uh, our call is to actually be sowers. And we read that that passage within uh, chapter 6 about those who sow will reap. There is a, a place in, in, in all this. Yes, there is a gift of the Spirit that is at work, but there's also a part that we get to play in sowing to the Spirit, that we have a decision and choice to actually make, to actually choose. Will we sow to the Spirit or will we sow to the flesh, to our earthly way, to the, to, to the world around us? What is it that we are going to sow to? It's a decision that we get to make to actually cultivate a space an environment where the Spirit's gift of fruit can grow in us. And as we do that, we are participating with the Spirit's work. We actually join with God as He forms something in us that we aren't able to do in ourselves and through ourselves. But it is a gift. It is a grace. It is a grace, one that leads us to, to holiness, it leads us to integrity, it leads us to having a character, this beautiful character that we have, 
something that we are striving for and, and yearning for is to God to actually form in us this holiness, not from just our own efforts. And we're going to be kind of touching on and, and talking about um, the spiritual disciplines throughout the series and how the disciplines are a way that we can actually uh, join with God. We participate with God and actually align ourselves with a certain way of living and a certain way of doing that actually is in line with what the Spirit is doing. We, as If we're thinking about sowing to the Spirit, there needs to be a way that we actually do that. And we actually think about what, how are we living? How is our life formed? What are the disciplines that I have in my life that actually are formed around sowing to the Spirit? And uh, discipline, it has kind of an interesting view in our, in our culture, in our modern world today. Um, you know, often discipline can, can go to, uh, if, if you're, uh, these days, if you're doing it in a wrong environment, a wrong setting, uh, you can be told off for keeping someone in line. There's claims of abuse of power, and, and obviously because there has been a, a abuse of power in our history. Uh, we've, we've gone to the other side of the extreme, that we don't want to tell people off. We're, we're wary of going, I don't want to tell people how they should live. I don't, shouldn't tell them what kind of disciplines we should have. We've, we've got a relationship with discipline that's a, it's, it's a bit iffy and we're a bit cautious around this subject. Even I, I heard a story last night of a teacher in, in Perth in a high school. Uh, and he witnessed before him two, two kids uh, fighting at each other, and he separated them. He separated the two, two boys and put them in two separate rooms, and he was talking to the first child and first uh, boy and talking about what had happened, and he received a phone call, uh, and it was the, the, the office, and uh, they were calling to say, hey, uh, this, this guy's, this boy's dad, not the one that you're interviewing, but the one you, you're yet to interview, you haven't even interviewed him yet, his dad is here at the, the office with his lawyer. They're here ready to talk to you about what's going on. And, uh, you know, modern school, you, kids have their phones on them, they can call their dad, and he's just down there, and his dad is, is angry that he wants to interview him about disciplining him, of, of, of kind of working this setting of, you know, what's going on in this whole sphere. And so, you know, teachers, I, I, I do not envy that job right now. What a crazy job to have in this uh, climate today of teaching uh, in this setting mixed with all this going on, that, you know, this, this dad was like, how, how dare you, you try and keep him in line? It's, it's almost like we're, we want to let people have the freedom to express themselves in whatever, whatever way they want to, even if it's at the expense of another. And so we need a healthy way of dealing with this and learning how to navigate what discipline is and what, how to actually keep in line with how God is calling us and not let it be this, this place of feeling belittled and like we're, we're not worth anything, but actually letting it come from a place of grace, a place where we've actually been gifted something, aligning ourselves to participate with what God is doing in us through his gifts. And so firstly, we... we Take a look at some of the uh, context of the letter to the Galatians. Galatians as a letter is probably one of uh, Paul's most harshest letters. Uh, an ancient thinker once said that when he read Galatians, he could hear thunder. 
It's that, that feeling that his, Paul is writing. It's like this stormy dissonance upon the, the, uh, what he's writing and saying. Uh, he has mixed with this passion, this sarcasm, this anger. You, I, I, um, you know, in, in preparation to this, I read through the whole letter. It's pretty easy. It's you know, just a couple of pages to read through the whole letter. And you can, you can feel and, and sense this, this kind of, oh, what are you doing? What is going on? Why are you acting this way in Paul's writing? See, Galatia, uh, uh, the Galatians letter, it was written to, to a group of churches uh, within the area of Galatia, which is now modern-day Turkey, um, north of Israel. Uh, and it was a largely Gentile population. Uh, it, it, these are churches that Paul would, would have most likely planted on his first missionary journey. He had set up these churches and done these amazing things. He would have uh, been a part of uh, doing miracles in these places, of sharing the gospel, of people coming alive in Christ and witnessing the work of the gospel in these amazing places and seeing God free people. He would have witnessed that freedom in people through the grace and the gospel of Jesus. But now, now something else has happened. Now these people in these churches, they've been swayed. They've been swayed by an alternative gospel. They've been swayed by saying, no, no, you know that gospel stuff, that thing about Jesus, that's good, you know, that's important, but that's not enough. They've been told that, that the gospel, the, the grace of Christ is not enough for them. They need something more. And Paul is astonished. He's perplexed in some places. He says he's be, uh, they, they've been bewitched and deceived. There is strong language. This is not just this light. Oh, oh maybe you've just misunderstood a couple of things and let's just align. No, no, you've been bewitched. You've been deceived. There's strong language Paul is using. And he even says in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, a translation says, My dear idiots, he's calling out. What is going on? The shame that he feels and the, this, the, the just stupidity that he feels towards the people. That would have been a really encouraging letter. <laughs> what he's saying is that there's an alternate gospel that you're, you're following. There's a different way of living. The gospel that I'm bringing, it's not that. That I brought to you, you've, you've changed what you're thinking. And so what is that gospel? What is that alternate gospel that they have fallen into? You see, when we come to Christ, we are radically changed by grace. Even if, if we picture a new believer in Christ, something has, has changed in them. They see themselves totally different. There, there's new life in them. They see themselves totally and utterly in awe of what Christ has done in his sacrifice. And we see that we are totally just forgiven, not by our merits and how much we've done. And because we, we come from nothing, we see how amazing grace is, that he loves us and he accepts us and he gives us life despite what we've done. But then often pressures come in life. And those, those views that we get, they, they, they turn from this beautiful honeymoon of this exciting period to a mere wish, a mere idea, something that we, you know, we hope for, but it, it's not really the substance of life because life is hard. Life is draining. Life is just continuously going on and I have to keep working. I have to keep doing stuff with my family. I have to raise my kids. I have to do all these things. 
life continues to move along, the pressures of life are there. And so the gospel diminishes. And so we feel this tension and going, no, no, that, this, is, this is not enough. I need something more. I need to do something else because I'm not feeling it right now. I'm feeling like I'm lacking. I don't have the, the, the zip that I had when I was a new Christian. There needs to be something that's added to this message. And that's where people came in to those churches in Galatia. And they started to preach to them and talk to them. Yeah, you're, yeah you're actually, you're right. The grace and gospel are good. Jesus is good, but there is something else. You, you actually need to get circumcised. You need to be a part of the Jewish people. You need to actually come into the, the group of the Jews and actually accept the, the Jewish way of living. That's when you will then experience the fullness of the gospel. That's when you experience the fullness of what God has planned and fulfilled for your life. If you come in and follow these laws and these practices. This is where Paul is just utterly shocked that you would go along with this story, that Christ isn't enough for you. And so though we, in our day to day, we may not have people that come up and say, you must, you know, you should go get circumcised in order for you to feel worth something, that's probably not going to happen to you very often today. We have alternate gospels all around us happening. There are other people that is that are other stories that are calling for our allegiance. Other gospels that that are saying that Christ is good, but He's not enough. There are other ways that you should be contributing and adding to society. There are other ways that you should be seeing God that actually makes a grander picture. There are different agendas within our culture, but it's very real in the church around us. There's a liberal agenda. An agenda that says if you don't love and accept all people and how they identify as they are themselves and you don't see that as truth, then you're an evil person. You're not a real Christian. There's a security agenda, an agenda that says if you in any way do something that breaks the stability and the security of society, i.e. do not get vaccinated, you're an enemy. That's the security agenda. There's an appearance agenda that you must do all these things so that you can look like you're winning, look like you're at the top of your game. You need to be a part of this gym program. You need to have this great career projection. You need to go on these amazing experiences and holidays in order for you to feel like you are approved. You'll chase approval and worth by how you look and what you have. And there's, there's a romantic agenda an agenda that says that in order for you to, to be fully happy, you need to be in a, a loving relationship. You need to find your true love. There's these, all these agendas. There's those and, and many more that are at play in our culture around us. And then we as the church, we as Christians, uh, have all these ideas, these agendas floating into our world, trying to mix with what the gospel and what Christ is saying in the midst of all that's going around. And we ourselves can have these moments where we go, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, but I need to, if I don't love people enough, am I really a Christian? If I don't accept everyone and how they see themselves, am I really a Christian? Yes, Christ is good, but if I, I do something that breaks the stability of society around us, am I really, and you know, am I doing something that's good? Am I really an important Christian? 
we have these things in our lives where we see Christ is good, but there are other agendas that are at play. And what makes this difficult is that most of these genders have some really great elements of truth wrapped all around it. And we get skewed and try and figure out how do we fit this in? How is Christ calling us to live? How am I called to actually be a part and be a witness amongst all this going on around me? And where it gets skewed in our lives is we need to actually realize what are these agendas? What's going on in our lives? What is the actual source of my fulfillment, of my purpose in life? Where do I find the strength? What is the source of that? Am I going after and chasing the things of the culture, of those agendas around me? Or am I actually centered on Christ and his spirit in my life? When the agendas, when something else has become more important, it occupies our energy. It occupies our thinking. It, we, we, it occupies our time, our money. Everything is, has been centered around these agendas in our lives. And that's the areas that we're actually sowing into. We can understand and we can realize what we're sowing into as we look at our lives and see where our efforts and our time, our thinking is really invested What are we sowing our lives into? We can easily lift our own importance and see ourselves as the ultimate authority in our lives. And we don't actually need God in this this scenario because he isn't relevant if we're just focused on what we need to do and what the agenda is around us. And so this is the situation the Galatians have been in, and this is a situation that we have to face in our own lives to work out what is our allegiance, where do we trust, what is the source of my life? Is it leaned into what I do as a job, how I treat people, how my family looks, where's the source of who I am? Dallas Willard, he says, that the true effect of the fall was to lead us to trust in the flesh alone, to not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. That what the fall has done was meant that we trust in ourselves alone, that God is not necessary, that he is not needed. We can just trust in ourselves the issue is this, this way of doing things isn't holding up. It makes us fragile. It breaks down when things don't work and, and occupy and, and happen in the way that we think. It actually messes us up. We've sown in so many different uh, soils. We're, we're looking at all this different seed and we're thinking, how, how do I fit all this in? What's going to work for me? What, how is this going to make me feel happy? And we keep trying these different things, but it's only making us feel more fragile making us feel empty and dry. Because instead of actually being deep into the soil and actually being something of substance, of growing a beautiful tree, we're we're scattered all over the place, trying to find something that will help fill that sense, that strength that we need. Another Dallas Willard quote, "To, 
to depart from righteousness. It's to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures and disappointments. A life caught up in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true philosopher. Such a picture of the world today. Caught up in the toils of endless problems that are never resolved. Sounds like a bit like my life and our lives, doesn't it? <laughs> By contrast, the promise of old was that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. As the prophet Joel prophesied, and as confirmed in the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and declared that this was a new day, the Spirit of God is upon us. That the, the prophets of old spoke of the Spirit coming upon and being poured out on all flesh. It's our flesh is not the issue. Our bodies are not the problem. We can't just keep blaming kind of our human nature that we just fall and get it all wrong and because the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, upon all bodies, to animate and produce life. It's the works of the flesh. As we actually are so fixated on how we can occupy and, and build for ourselves the thing that we need. As we obsess over our authority and feel like we need to have it our way. It's actually letting go of that and believing that the Spirit of God is poured out upon us. He's poured upon, out upon our bodies, our flesh. As, as uh, Galatians 5 declares earlier, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You can feel the strength in Paul's words here as he's declaring them to these people of, of Galatia, saying, come on, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery, to feeling like you need to earn your way, your status by how you perform, by what the agendas around us, but actually stand firm in the Spirit of God and how He has called us to live. God saw the state of humanity. God saw our heart's desire to choose us, to chase after to chase after having authority in our own way. He saw us and he came as an infant. He came as a baby. The God who created the world did not leave us in our evil, but he came and lived among us. He came and showed us a new way of living, a way that is constantly giving up that authority, trusting the Father, of trusting and leaning upon the Father and actually submitting His authority and saying, not my will, Father, but yours. We see a Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the point of sweating blood, in agony, going, God, Father, not my will, but yours. This is the Jesus that gets talked about in Philippians 2. It says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend and every t- uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ has done for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves, of saving ourselves, of delivering ourselves from the need to perform. And now he is highly exalted. This is the Spirit of God that has actually, from Christ, is the one that animates the life and gives life to our bodies. It's through his Spirit that we are able. It's through his spirit that we are delivered, that we can have hope as we lean and see Christ. Our call is to then live in Christ-likeness, to actually surrender our lives, to humble ourselves, to actually consider how we live. Where are we sowing our lives? What are we sowing our lives into? Do we sow our lives into just thriving in what we're doing and how we're performing in in our own selves and what we can get out of our own lives? Or we actually sow our lives into humbly submitting to Christ, humbly coming before him in need and saying, Lord, we need you. We sow to his spirit. So to what the Spirit of God and allow Him to actually cultivate something in us, a gift, gift in, given to us, cultivating the means of grace in us. This is the call that we are, are on as Christians to continue to allow space in our lives for God to cultivate something else in us, to sow what we have into the Spirit. Last Dallas Willard quote. Last one for the evening, guys. (laughs) The conflict between flesh and spirit is the experience of all who begin the spiritual life by the influx of God's life-giving word. Sometimes the conflict is long. Sometimes it's short. This is where the spiritual disciplines come in. The disciplines for the spiritual life, rightly understood, are time-tested activities consciously undertaken by us as new men or women to allow our spirit ever-increasing sway over our embodied selves. They help by assisting the ways of God's kingdom to take the place of the habits of sin embedded in our bodies. I love this. It's just amazing. 
There's this conflict at war within our flesh and our spirit that we're ever drawn to just doing the things of the flesh, things of our culture, things of the world around us. There's these impulses inside of us that are there, that are in each of us. And we are fools to to think that otherwise, that we have these impulses inside of us. And there's this conflict between whether we're going to trust the impulse or we actually trust and lean into the Spirit of God and lean into who He is calling us to be. And as this conflict works inside of us, there's this call to actually live and to discipline ourselves within the spiritual disciplines and to realise that as we focus on the, the disciplines of the Spirit, that actually takes place, the kingdom takes place instead of the habits of sin that are embedded in our bodies. These habits of sin that are just formed as we go about our days are actually combated by our disciplines and how we live in the practices and how we actually go about our days. And spiritual disciplines are these ancient practices. They're these ways of doing things that are actually there because we are empowered by the Spirit. They are like gifts to us to actually form a kingdom living in us rather than our world. And we're going to kind of go through some of these, as I mentioned, these spiritual disciplines as we unpack the fruit of the, spirit, the fruits of the Spirit in, in um, the coming weeks. Uh, but we have a list of these spiritual disciplines. Thanks, Isaiah, on the screen. Um, I'm just, we're just putting them all up there. This is, this is not, we're not putting the, all, this all here to give you a list of, you know, how am I doing? This is not a scorecard here, people. This is, we're focusing and looking at these disciplines to actually inspire us, to see what we actually push into as we allow spaces, as the gift of grace illuminates something in us, as, as we've been called into his love and see deeper what he has done for us. We can't help but actually want to, to actually live a certain way. When Christ has changed how we live, we, we want to actually respond in a way of, how we live and, and what we do. And so uh, these are ancient practices that are, are time-tested throughout um, the church history. And these are disciplines of both abstinence, where we abstain from uh, the lusts and the desires of the world. And these are disciplines of engagement, where we engage with what the Spirit of God is doing. That We need both the, the disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement to actually align ourselves in a way of living that helps and sows who we are into the kingdom way of living. And as we focus and think about our lives, we actually can see, I mean, the beautiful things of silence, solitude, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice as we abstain from the things of this world. And then as we engage in the kingdom of God, we want to study, we want to worship, we want celebration, we want service for others, we want prayer, fellowship, confession, submission. These amazing, beautiful disciplines that we can go upon. Again, this is not here to make us feel like we're not good enough or to test yourself in how good you are but to inspire us and give us hope 
into what the Spirit of God wants to actually empower us to do. Thanks, mate. You can probably put that one down. As we focus then on how we actually sow our lives, what we are putting into what Christ is forming in us, and the product of that is actual fruit. And as we focus, so next week we'll be talking about love, the beautiful agape love, a love that is self-sacrificing. And as we see that love bearing within us, we actually have a call to sow into who we are, to see love form in us even more. As, as the gift of love is given to us, not by our works, but by grace. We have the opportunity to sow into who we are so that God can form us. Again, in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 7 to 9, there is, uh, towards the end of the scripture reading, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you will reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. That Greek verb for mocked uh, is nowhere else found within the New Testament, uh, though it is kind of often found more often in the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it literally means to turn up the nose in mockery, to turn up your nose, oh, How dare you? And so Paul here is trying to make a point. God will not be mocked. God, you cannot turn up your nose on God. That someday there will be a moment where we reap what we sow. You cannot outwit God. The crop that you plant in the soil in the spring will inevitably sprout forth in the harvest of autumn. And what that harvest looks like as we sow into the Spirit, what the Spirit of God is, and we we determine and discipline our lives around His grace and His mercy for us. What we get is is eternal life. And eternal life is not just a, a life that lasts forever, but it's rather God's very life. The sustenance and life of who He is is found in our life now. The life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit which graciously comes upon us as his children, as we trust him, as we trust him to redeem us and rescue us. His grace is with us. Let us hear Paul's call to us. The same call that he gave to those Galatians millennia ago is to stand firm in the freedom of Christ to see not the slavery, the yoke of slavery that is around us, to not be swayed by that any longer, but to see there is freedom in Christ. That our call is not to save ourselves, to just get our lives in order. I need to be better. I need more fruit in my life. What what is wrong with me? That's not our call, but, but it's actually to focus in on who God is. And to bring our whole bodies to Christ. 
continue to keep bringing our whole bodies to Christ. And so that when we're tired and fed up, because the kids are just continually nagging us, we have to keep bringing our whole bodies to Christ. When we're upset and feel shameful for something we've maybe said to somebody else, we just keep bringing our whole bodies to Christ. When we're going through challenges at work or we're, we're overwhelmed by the pressures of life, we keep bringing our whole selves to Christ. Our call as we focus in and sow in the Spirit is to keep bringing who we are to Christ. It's not to perfection. It's not to think that we need to have it all right. It's to keep bringing all that we are to Christ. I'm just going to finish with a psalm. Psalm 63, a psalm of David. This is a psalm uh, where David was fleeing into the wilderness from his son who was trying to kill him. It would be a tense moment. And he'd be longing for God's presence. And as we read this psalm, I want you to notice the bodily language that, that is being described here, that we actually bring our whole bodies, not to our desires, but we bring our whole bodies to Christ. Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and your power because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied with a rich feast and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall, rejo- shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Lord, we just come to you here this evening. And trust our whole lives, our whole selves to you. May we be formed in and by your spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you have poured out your spirit upon us. That we have been delivered from the works of our flesh. The the flesh that continues to dictate and organise what we do and how we act. Lord, we have been delivered by that flesh, by your spirit and been led to bear fruit and life. Lord, I pray for the strength to continue to lean into your spirit, to trust you with our whole lives, our whole selves. Lord, I pray for the strength for us to to learn these spiritual disciplines. 
to actually form our lives by the values and the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. May by your grace we ever be strengthened more and more each day. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.